Lucid Strata. A world building and storytelling actual play podcast. In which an arts graduate and an engineer use generative systems to craft fictional settings grounded in reality. When you wake from your dreams, do your dreams end for good? When you close the book on the story, does its world continue on without you? This is a podcast dedicated to those worlds, little fragments of reality ticking on by themselves long after we have left them behind. Welcome back to Luther's Strata. I'm LJ and this is Ed. Say hi, Ed. Hi, Ed. You can find me at low underscore Cinnabar on Twitter. And you can find me under a rock somewhere in some woods near your house. <laughs> Beautiful. Truly a goblin response. Uh, today we're going to be continuing our playthrough of The Ground Itself uh, with The Thousand Blades, uh, the sort of vaguely Arthurian subtropical river delta we've created last session. Uh <laughs> Uh, you can find the ground just, itself at everestpipkin.itch.io. Just the the image of Sir Gawain sitting on a cabana with a you know <laughs> raspberry dakiri or something. I feel like Gawain would would drink a raspberry dakiri. <laughs> There'd be a Shirley Temple. <laughs> Maybe yeah. Uh, no, it's Gal- Galahad would have a Shirley Temple. Gawain would have a have a have dakiri, and uh, Lancelot would be living it up on Margarita the whole time. Do- the fun thing about uh, you you being like uh, an an arts grad and me being like a a engineering grad is uh, my knowledge of things like Arthuriana is purely pop culture and books that I happen to pick up at some time or another. So I can make a throwaway <laughs> comment, and you can assume I'm making a reference to something actually legit part of scholarship, mm. and then just extrapolate that into, oh yeah, obviously Lancelot drinks margaritas. And uh, it's great because it means I can just run with that and it makes me look really clever. Yeah. Uh, And I'll follow this up by saying Mordred, uh, Arthur's bastard son who does kill him, spoiler alert for the Arthurian saga, would be drinking straight shots of Sambuca. (laughs) (laughs) Non-stop. What a a mad lad. I love Sambuca. Everyone... Whenever I, I'm out and we you know, drink something, everyone else kind of downs it and goes, oh, yeah, that's horrible, disgusting, yeah, why are we ordering this? And I'm sitting there going, yes, please, more. Can I drink this slowly? Do you put a <laughs> drop of water in it? What's the deal here? Uh, I used to love Sambuca, as you well know, and now I cannot touch the stuff. <laughs> uh, but I, I make up for that by loving tequila and tequila loving me, and I feel like that's a relationship and not a lot of people get to get to experience. That's No, if, if tequila loves you back, then, like, mm. yeah. You and know. made for life. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, so where we got up to last time is we did, we took uh, one hour and one half, I think, to get through the 20 minute setup phase. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did want to point out last time we recorded, um, it is, if, you're, if you're new to like TTRPGs or you're new to this type of TTRPGs or even just this game, you can play it faster than this. You <laughs> can probably play it a should. lot faster than this. <laughs> If you want to play, and with not friends. just because you won't be recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, like it's two to six players. If every single player took as long as we were taking, uh, it would be a very long game. But I feel like if there's six players, maybe you'd have 
more time to think ahead of what you were doing. So maybe it'd be quicker anyway. <laughs> but where we're up to this time is we're starting up with a timeline phase, and then we'll be starting our first era. Yes. So the other uh, piece of information you need for this is that uh, you normally would play this with the number cards from a normal 52 card deck. Uh, we do not have a normal 52-card deck, so we are playing this with a tarot deck. With a tarot and, deck. Uh, have, you, have you got the Arcana ready, by the way? Because the other thing we're doing I is... I do have the Arcana. If we're, if we're getting stuck, uh, we're going to randomly draw Arcana and see whether that prompts any inspiration. Yeah, and one thing I think we'll do this time is I might uh, narrate what picture we get on the on our cards um, just so people know, yeah, get sure. a vague sense of the Rider Waite deck and maybe it'll give us some inspiration. Maybe it won't. There's a lot of swords in there. I do know that much. <laughs> a lot of, seems appropriate. A lot of swords. Um, and uh, the, the I mean, looking at the pictures I have in front of me, the, the wand uh, suit is like, you know, a wand I think of something like Harry Potter-esque. No, these wands, you could follow someone down a dark alley and kill them bloodily with these wands. <laughs> um, uh, in other decks, they're called, they can be called staves. So, like, they're more like uh, walking sticks, except really big, or, like, staffs, or, you know, like, Gandalf-level staffs and stuff, so... But just long, long, long-ass, very thin logs. So, I'll, I'll, I'll read from the hour timeline a little bit, um, really quickly, uh, just so we know what sort of timescale we're going to be on. Our timeline... This game is played in four cycles, and each cycle is separated by a gap in time. One player rolls the six-sided die and records the result. This die will determine the unit of time that this gap is measured in, and this metric stays for the remainder of the game. A one means days, which might lend itself to an intimate and close-textured story. A six means millennia. You are playing a game over thousands of years, and what was here may not survive these jumps in recognisable ways. So that's the full that's the full scope. Uh, there, there's a little addendum beneath saying that, like, if you feel like the timeline is antagonistic, the story you'd like to tell, you can re-roll. But yeah, we I think keep an open mind on this. Um, although if we get days, that would be very funny to me. I think. <laughs> it's, I like days would be funny. Uh, millennia would be terrifying. Oh, but we but what scope? What wild and vicious scope. I mean, okay, yeah, but how do you take, like, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see what, we'll see what the, the fates give us. We'll see what the fates give us. Um, and we can always decide that we don't want millennia and re-roll. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the other thing with this game is that um, jumps between eras don't have to be forwards. Uh, we can go backwards if we want to. Uh, at some point, I'd really like to play a game where we start at the end and then work backwards uh, era by era. But um, I've not done that before, so it'd be interesting to do. Uh, so I'm going to roll this dice. I've got a beautiful dice that I've got a beautiful die. Sorry, that nobody will be able to see, uh, but you will be able to hear the beautiful thunk. Uh, it is metal, so it'll give you a little. Oh, you're going to get this acoustic experience. Uh, that's a five centuries. Centuries is manageable. I think centuries is something we can handle. Yeah, get get um, get a pair of reins on a century. Get a, get a pair of reins on a century. Yeah, it's it's no fucking bronco to have to tame a century. <laughs> see, I know, I know you meant like wild horses, uh, but my uh, chief awareness of the term reins refers to like those little harnesses you put on toddlers. So now I'm imagining <laughs> just a toddler. Running like with you know hundred year banner on them, just running around causing havoc, and a desperate set of parents running around with a holding out a set of reins trying to put on the on the kid. Anyway, 
Um, <laughs> so uh, we're working in centuries. Mm, I feel like centuries are slow moving. So um, do you want to read from main gameplay? Um, sort of so we get a sense of what we're doing. Main gameplay. During our four cycles of gameplay, players draw cards from the numerical pile. Each type of card is associated with a set of questions which are answered in order. For example, the first time the player draws an ace of any suit, they would answer the first question listed under the aces, which is, first, what are the plants like in our place? The rocks, the soil. The second time an ace is drawn, the player would answer the second question. Second, it is time to plant the seedlings. What are the seedlings and where are they planted? What is the harvest that is hoped for? And so forth. Read the question out loud, narrate your answer to the group, and then discard the card in the discard pile, optionally making a note of which card it was. The group may ask follow-up or clarifying questions, but may not contradict what you have expressly said. The player may also discard the card before addressing the question, and enter a focused situation, choosing to tell a story, throw a party, discover something, see an omen, leave the frame, or move on, skipping this turn. These focused situations allow us to skip certain questions, instead spending more time on a single moment. Choosing to enter a focused situation still counts as the nth instance of the card, you may enter the same focus situation multiple times. The specific rules of these situations are detailed in a later section. If the card drawn is a 10, the cycle ends, moving us forward in time. Yeah, so uh, we don't need to worry about suits so much. We can describe what suits we have if we want to if we want to vibe and we've got major arcana to draw from if we we are stuck or we want we just want we just want to roll the dice a bit more. Uh, and if we don't want to roll the dice, we can do these focus situations and tens are the ends of seasons, I guess. Um, this game is based uh, in a large part on a game called The Quiet Year, which yeah, every suit is a separate season. Um, but I think mixing, muddling things up in this way is also very interesting. I, I like Quiet Year. I like Ground itself more, I think. Maybe because it, it the it's it's not... I do, Generally with board games, I like fixed-length board games, stuff like... Um, mm. Uh, Seven Wonders because you know you're playing three ages and you know how long those ages last and you and bish bash bosh you're done. Mm. Um, whereas with this, uh, because it's more, I guess maybe because it's more of a narrative quality to the game, I like the unexpectedness uh, in in you know the uncertainty around how long each age is going to last. Mm. Um, it also makes it makes things feel a lot more ephemeral. Um, yeah, if that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I get you. We do get that a bit with the quiet year because the last season you can play a variant where um, hitting the king moves the seasons on if you want to play a quicker game, and the last king in winter always takes you like the game just immediately ends. No more game at the moment that la that final king is drawn. But um, here, um, I, I guess that'll still happen with the with the last ten. But it's it's more expressly like, hey, uh, the next season could happen any time, and the rest of the cards are still up for grabs. <laughs> Um, any era could last however long it lasts, uh, or we could go through all, all four tens very quickly. Uh, it's possible that we hit all four tens within four rounds, in which case I'll scream because that's our podcast gone. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, we, we can cut this bit out if we need to. I once watched an, uh, like a, a, a how to play, uh, channel, uh, video about zombie dice, mm -hmm. you know, the push your luck game. Um, you know, you have a, a, a 13 dice in a in a cup and you roll them and you're trying to get, you, the idea is you're a zombie, so you're trying to get brains on the dice and you're trying to avoid um, uh, shotgun blasts, you know, because the, the, the person you're chasing has a shotgun. Mm -hmm. um, and Will Wheaton was on it. He'd never played the game before. Um, 
and he rolled the, the dice have different levels of difficulty like red dice are, are worse and green dice have more good stuff and so on and uh if you if you get three shotgun blasts in one like round of dice uh then you lose everything you've gained that turn Ooh. this guy will Reaton rolled 13 dice and got brains on every single one every time like in rolling them in threes pushing his luck and they worked out the odds of this afterwards was essentially impossible <laughs> um like the nearest the nearest thing to impossible is the wildest fucking thing and the rage on his like co-players faces um <laughs> as they egg him on to play more and roll more dice and it just it gets more and more like and he's just sitting there going like well i don't know what i'm doing this seems like a fun game i keep yeah. rolling dice and good things keep happening <laughs> Why, anyway, why doesn't everybody um, play like this? This is easy. <laughs> this seems like an easy game. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Friends at the Table in their current season of Heart um, starts with this game and they f- <laughs> they rolled days as their timescale and each, every single day apart from the last one, hilariously, they just kept rolling ones. So all the <laughs> wild stuff that they were coming up with kept happening just within the span of one day and then the next, t- it's just like a week of nightmares for this community. It's just phenomenal. Uh, so just just a great time. We've all we've all had weeks like that. We've all had weeks. <laughs> anyway, um, let's get started. Um, at, oh, there's additional rules after every cycle, um, but we'll. Ooh. Oh, there are rules for tarot decks. Um, what? Uh, oh no, it's just um, if this is the case, major arcana should be removed as well as the page cards, which have no. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Got rid of all the knights instead. Um, in the tarot, ones are equivalent to clubs. Cups correlate to hearts. Pentacles are diamonds, and swords correspond to spades. I think we beefed that as well, but that's very fun. Yeah. Um, uh, cups. Yeah, ones are clubs. That makes sense. That ones are clubs. <laughs> ones are wands. Yeah, no, it does because yeah. they are clubs. They're literal clubs. Okay. Well, start as we mean to go on. Start <laughs> as we mean to go on. Haphazardly. Uh, okay. Who wants to go first? Me or you? Do you want to flip a coin or? Uh, I can't, I'm kind of jumping at a bit. Let me go yeah, first. Okay. Uh, we have the Five of Cups, um, the image of which is a very forlorn person stood next to a river with a bridge over it. And five spilled, three spilled cups next to them and two cups behind them. Okay. Some of these cups have blood in them. <laughs> nice uh what are these stars like in our place the sky the weather hmm okay so uh we've said it's like a subtropical type situation we have like a bit of a mangrove swamp type thing going on so it's uh it's pretty hot um like a lot of hot places i'm going to say we get seasonal rains and it's probably pretty dry the rest of the year there's really three seasons. There's a hot season, there's a rainy season, and there's a flood season when uh, all of the um, like silt and minerals and stuff come down from from the river and end up uh, on the uh, banks of the delta. Um, and the stars, uh, I want to say, like not too dissimilar to our own. Um, but there are, you know what, this is a five, yeah, let's say there are five major stars um, which are static in the sky. Um, 
So they all the other stars do these weird kind of progression things, the way that stars always do. Um, but there are these five stars which uh, just appear in fixed places over the landscape, and uh, they don't appear to move relative to the landscape the way uh, other stars and heavenly bodies do. I like that a lot. Interesting one. Okay, I'm going to draw a card. That's our first six. Again, six of clubs. Um, a picture of a young, pagely sort of fellow in a cap giving a cup with a flower in it to a, a smaller lady. Hard to tell if she's a small lady or a child. Or just far away. Yeah, they're just sort of in front of the townhouses. And each of these cups has a little white flower in it, which I like very much. Uh, so, sixes. Um, <laughs> this is a big contrast. What is the most horrible thing in or about our place? Oh, God. This idyllic scene. Um, what is the most horrible thing in or about our place? Um, hmm. Hmm, 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 hmm. I'm going to draw Major Arcana, I think, just to see. Just to give myself something. something. Temperance, which is a picture of uh, obviously an angel pouring water between two cups over a lake of water. So I think um, what it is, is the most horrible thing about this place is that despite there being a whole lot of good uh, forging water, as we've already established that um, the water can be forged into metal, the water isn't strictly great to drink. People do drink it, um, but it's not always the best to drink. Um, and there are certain places in the city where people refine the water for drinking purposes and not forging purposes. Maybe that's something that the Smiths do, actually, is to forge drinking water, <laughs> and remove some well, of the I mean, rich minerals in there that are good for plants and not necessarily good for people. It's like drinking fertilizer, I guess. I mean, if if, if the smithing is uh, is a heat-based process, then you end up with an awful lot of waste heat. So it could be, you know, uh, having a, a, a distill... A, a distill? Having a still... Uh, for drinking water uh, next to the smithy is not that crazy an idea. Mm. Um, I think I think it's the fact that there are some there's some le level of controls over drinking water and uh, prohibitions over alcohol. I think um, I, it would be it would be silly to have a like Las Vegas style where is the water water conspiracy of, in the River Delta. So maybe I'll just say it's uh, prohibition on alcohol um, and because we've got temperance. Um, That's, that would be the worst thing about the place. So is the, <laughs> is the prohibition uh, citywide or district-based, or is it...? Um, uh, I, th I think maybe it's tightly controlled, so you get a lot of bootleggers from between, between districts of the, of the Delta, and those borders change all the time, so... And we do have a, a smuggling tradition already established. Too. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe an alcohol and... No, you know what? I, th I think it, it, it's got to be the water, right? Because otherwise, the alcohol prohibition happens all over the place and plenty of people get to buy it without booze. And if that's the worst thing, I think it is like water controls on drinking, clean drinking water. There is drinking water plenty of places, but being next to the sea and on this very silty delta doesn't necessarily cause the best amount of good water that's consistently healthy for people. Um, yeah. Nice, nice idea. So I'll put temperance to one side. Oop. So I'll put temperance to one side and not punch the microphone. We have a nine, the nine of pentacles. Um, a robed nine lady with a hawk. Pentacles. First nine, here we go. What do people eat and drink here? What is considered traditional? 
Uh, you know what? Let's go with rice. Like, not necessarily uh, Asian rice in this context. Like, uh, North American wild rice is something I find very interesting mm. um, and looks and tastes pretty different to uh, uh, the rice grown in much of the rest of the world. Mm. Um, but flooding, you know, annual flooding and uh, silt and uh, maybe um, a, a rainy season and, and half-flooded pasture... Uh, kind of lends itself well to um, rice-type farming anyway. Um, so I'm going to say the, the the kind of standard dish is uh, rice with various flavorings and toppings on it, um, traditionally accompanied by... Uh, this is a good question. What do people drink? Well, they don't drink. <laughs> they don't drink a whole lot of pure water. <laughs> actually, actually, you know what? Uh, rainwater, like uh, oh. you, you're the rain because you know you can't drink um, from the river very easily. Mm. So, setting your house up to uh, maximize and store um, rain catchment it is that I don't even think that's the proper term for it. Um, like rain, rainwater um, is a a standard uh, thing. So that's mm. like. A, uh, a, a sign of hospitality is you turn up and you get a nice uh, bowl of rice and some toppings and uh, some rainwater. And if you don't want rainwater, uh, I'm going to say, let's see, we've got lots of trade going on. Um, so wine is a standard import. Um, and uh, so is uh, beer, like a, a, a lighter beer um, made from rice as well. Oh, a rice beer. Interesting. Um, yeah, and I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna say those are it's it's kind of beer you know in in, in today's internet um, beer has been endlessly analysed but the the thing which we call beer has uh, I mean one there's no standard agreement even now even in mm. someone like Europe over what beer is this is liquid bread this is liquid bread this isn't beer <laughs> exactly uh, and then. The, the ancient Egyptian concept of what bread and what beer are are also quite interesting as well. Mm, yes. um, so yeah, there is there is something that people call beer and there is something that people call wine mm. uh, and both of those are imported generally. Um, so they're more of a luxury good, um, but you know, not, not so much a luxury that like a regular person pro- mm. would, would never have had them. What's your thoughts on kombucha? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I have never, I don't think I've ever had kombucha. Um, uh, a friend made I, their own kombucha and it was delicious. Um, but I haven't I had did, actual kombucha. <laughs> I do uh, I do like a homebrew. Um, and I, mm. I enjoy making my own beer. Um, I did try to make mead once and I thought it was kind of okay. But my friends informed me that it smelled and tasted like blue cheese. Uh, oh, no. And I was a terrible person. Which, <laughs> you know, they are... They're normally extremely complimentary of my culinary uh, exploits. So the fact that they told me it was disgusting means, I don't know, like <laughs> it obviously didn't reach the benchmark. For right, me. yeah. Your, your classic benchmark because you are an incredibly good cook. Hey, audience, Ed is a remarkably good cook. You all have to know. Okay, second nine. Can't you, can't you taste how good my cooking is through <laughs> the airwaves? Nine, number two. Uh, this is nine of cups. Uh, some sort of... Uh, 
very jolly looking fellow sat cross-armed on a bench uh, and behind him is sort of a an array of cups on some sort of raised dais. So I, he looks like some sort of merchant, perhaps. Uh, second nine. Someone or a group leaves our place. Who are they and why are they going? What do they take with them and what do they leave behind? Oh, we haven't we haven't got people yet and we're already saying goodbye to them. This is I mean this is a fun one. Mm. Uh this is this could be um people leaving leaving or they could be leaving temporarily or I mean we we've already implied some coming and going because it's a trade center, right? Mm. Um yeah, no, I like I like the I like this one a lot. Mm, I think well, but let's get era specific. Um let's say that in this era, um I guess I guess we've got the did we did we say something about a ruler? Did we say that it's ruled by the knights? High, or high, priestess. high priestess. Yes, okay. We have the high priestess uh whose job is to administrate um, the gods. Marry the sea and the river and also administrate which gods are doing what this week. Uh it's the giant tea rotor in the mm. sky. And every god has a knife, which is a name for the thou- a thousand blades as smaller rivulets. Ah, oh, so good. Um, yeah, I think this is um, uh, the high priestess's chosen successor um, has a falling out with with the priestess and leaves. I think this is a, uh, a some sort of schism um, in this era, uh, and leaves with a bunch of their own their own followers. They take with them uh, meager supplies and stories and gods. Uh, a handful of gods come with them uh, and they leave behind um, uncertainty. That's a, that's a powerful thing. They, especially when you consider how uh, you know that m- m- uh, many in our world, many of the, the major world religions are not specifically tied to a place. Like for example um you know, you can be obviously Jerusalem's the holiest site in Christendom, but uh, you can be uh, Christian without ever going to Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, whereas we've set up this this uh, faith system, which is uh, pretty deeply tied to specific rituals with the sea and that river and those uh, those uh, channels and the gods who who are associated with them. So. The fact they take gods with them is interesting. There's an interesting theological justification, I think. I'm imagining that they're taking, like, barrels and jars of water and the gods are sort of coming in those vessels. Oh, that's cool. That's a a similar thing to, uh, I think I'm right in saying, the way uh, when they set up a new kami shrine uh, in Shinto religion, um, you take the flame from one and you introduce it to the other. Mm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that was a tradition. That's cool. That's very cool. I like that a lot. I, I, the, this, it, I, I'm absolutely not an expert here, but I, I think I remember reading that uh, you have the the flame in the shrine in some of the shrines to to represent the kami who's uh, dwelling in the shrine, and uh, when you build a new one, you go to a, a shrine with another kami, in, you light something from that flame, and then you take that new flame to the new shrine. Uh, I, I, the, the reason I remember it is they, the kami living in that shrine isn't diminished by it, mm. but the new shrine that like that flame is com- completely represents the new kami. So it, it's mm. yeah, it, it's a kind of interesting doctrine. It kind of reminded me a little bit of 
uh, that whole thing with the Trinity and like, ah, yes, it's three different mm. gods, but it's one yeah. god at the same time. It's and, like the more fire you give away, the, the more fire you have, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the other flame doesn't doesn't get any smaller. Yeah. Okay. Um, one final question before we move on. Um, every god's a knife. Is this a peaceful transition? Is that especially because they're taking water with them? Uh, I think I think it's not drinking water. I think it's uh, they've scooped from the. I think they've got some drinking water because they've got connections. But I think they've just scooped a bunch of silty water from from a few from a few of these knives um, and taking right, yeah, but, taking but, the gods with that's them. That's what I mean. Mm. That's like you know, you imagine you, you know you're you're an adherent of a particular god in in your particular channel, and some mook walks up to you and says, uh, we're leaving, me and my friends are leaving the city and I'm taking this god with me and then scoops a bunch of your god out the river and starts walking off with it. Like, is that a, is it a peaceful transition or? I think it's something they do and then people realize what they've done. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And that's a whole like founding myth by itself, right? Yeah. Like this is going to become its own legend in its own day. Um, but for now, it's just a thing that's happening and politics is about to get real complicated over who's got power in this city. And given the parent culture's focus on uh, ritual objects and um, what's what I'm looking for, like art artefacts and shrines and, and reliquaries and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, the jars they used to carry it are going to be like, you know, the center of minor cults and all that kind of thing. Oh, damn, yeah. Well, let's, uh, but, let's, uh, let's figure out what the cards tell us late, later, and we can always come back to them. Yeah, I mean... The, um, I'm, especially I'm, as they're taking, they're taking them beyond the purview of our vision as well. Yeah, I re I'm kind of... I'm butting up against the, um, the, the limits of, of our, uh, our, you know, focus rule here, right? Mm, yeah, but um, I, th I, think, I think as they leave, this is something we can confidently speculate about as they go. Uh, you have another nine... Uh, you have the Nine of Swords, which is one of my favorite cards in the deck because it's, I, a, it's a very sad person in uh, bed with a bunch of swords behind them uh, as if as if to say, oh God, oh God, I've w just woken up and I've bought all these swords. Uh, <laughs> which is something you might really like about this. Uh, my partner has left me because I keep spending all of my money on swords. I'm all alone. Um, and there's these nine swords on the wall behind me. I <laughs> My problems have all gone. I, I don't, honestly don't know why they're crying. Like, okay, yeah, they're all on their own and they're probably going to die alone. But on the other hand, you've got nine bitchin' swords. Those are great. <laughs> the other great detail of this is that um, there's a very small mural on the side of the bed and it looks, at first glance, like two people having a sword fight, which I don't think it is, but... It's, uh... No, I, I mean, looking at the, the illustration I've got, that definitely is two people having a sword fight. Oh, hell yeah. That's a, the figure on the right is lunging, and the figure on the left is going, oh no, I have been lunged. That's our two knights. That's our two, oh, there you go, that's the our two knights. The two knights that founded the city. We found them. We found them. Uh, third nine. Third nine. I, LJ, I'm not being funny. Are you sure we've shuffle, shuffled these? <laughs> I've definitely shuffled these, otherwise we'd be getting these in different order. I've shuffled these so many times. <laughs> Do you want me to? I'll okay. reshuffle the rest of the deck. Okay, so here we go. Third third nine, here we go. There is planning going into a celebration. Is it a festival, holiday, or remembrance? What is it celebrating? Okay, so if this was in a, a later age, I would, I'd probably get a little bit more inventive with this, but I think um, for the sake of groundwork, I'm going to say this is the annual celebration of the uh the founding duel right between our between our two knights 
And on this subject, actually, I had, while we were mulling, you know, in between uh, us recording these two episodes, I was mulling some of this over. And I thought, well, we have the shield is the sea and the sword is the river. Um, and the river splits up into all these little uh, bits, uh, all these little channels between the two. Mm. So I, I think the big um, climactic moment uh, of, of the of that initial battle was the the sword breaking on another uh, night shield. Oh, the shattering of the sword! Oh, damn! So, so, so this is this festival's probably called. Uh, I was gonna say, yeah, let's call it Sunder, the Sunder Festival. Jesus um, Christ! <laughs> as, as in sundering, um, it's to, that's definitely Sunder and not Sundere, by the way. <laughs> um, okay, so we've got the Sunder Festival. Uh, so it's the annual, yeah, go annual celebration of the, um, the the founding of the city. And I want to say, yeah, so it's a cheerful celebration because it's it's celebrating the knight who won, and also like recognizing. I think there's because we're leaning into that Arthuriana thing a bit. There's there's a bit of celebration of like that worthy adversary thing going on as well, right? Mm. So I'm I I think the the key narrative moment is uh, the one knight shatters their sword against the other knight's shield, and the other knight uh, then is able to strike the winning blow. Um, mm. So, yeah. Oh, and that tight right. So yeah. So the second the knight the knight who won the second knight, they maybe they won because uh, they were using a water forged sword, mm. or oh, or they were they were they were using a sword which was just oh, or maybe yeah maybe the sword which shattered is the the folk explanation for why you can turn the water here into swords um is because there are still bits of the original sword that shattered in all the channels <laughs> i think that um, these are definitely all things that are separate explanations that all are concurrent <laughs> yeah definitely the um, way the way that goes right the, yeah the thing i the, the thing i wanted to um to, to throw into the to the festival is that um i want that super cheerful thing uh mm. and i want like you know there's there's um maybe there's two or three shrines in the city where they uh remember the knight who was defeated uh and then everyone else is having like street parties and flags and stuff but i want something super gory and kind of fucked up like when i so trying to explain <laughs> well, like, to non -British... you, this is bonfire night right <laughs> yeah I, it's specifically for the kids to do like i want the kids <laughs> to run around with like red ribbons tied to their belt buckles because the knight was stabbed in the stomach or something um <laughs> like because you know try, trying to explain to someone who's not british about you know why are you burning uh, a person on a fire for bonfire night and you just kind of go oh don't worry it's just the pope and they go okay <laughs> and then they go sorry it's fucking what now uh, it's a guy called, it's just, a guy called guy fawkes we burned the guy he was catholic okay he yeah why do, why why do you burn him oh well he wanted to install a catholic religious theocracy and we were quite happy with an anglican religious theocracy yeah he he didn't he didn't succeed in blowing up a building with politicians in it so uh we burn him to death every year and the and the comment which follows that is oh, to be honest it would be kind of nice if he died like, if he did like you know he be good if someone could do that now ha ha yeah or at least that that was that was the discussion the last time i attended the bonfire night party <laughs> We used to have bonfire night at my Catholic school, and it was like, "Why are we doing this?" <laughs> Excuse me. Um, oh man, uh, don't, don't you love the fallout from religious religious wars four hundred yeah. years later? Yeah. Anyway, 
So, so there you go. So, um, so the kids run around with red ribbons tied to their belt buckles. That's so good. Um, and yeah, and, and anyone like well, the foreigners from outside the city go, oh, isn't that cute and quaint? Look, red belt, red belt buckle ribbons. Isn't that nice? And then they go, oh, wait, what? Why are you doing this? Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the uh, that is the Sunder Festival, a super mm. cheerful street party. Uh, with a couple of funerals going on in the middle of it and mm. uh, kids running around with mortal wounds um, all over them. <laughs> I love the I love the Worthy Adversary because it also feels like um, like the Five Kingdoms. Is it the Five Kingdoms? Like uh, era of China where um, you get people who are very much like we're best friends for life uh, on opposite sides of the of the of the wars. Um, yeah. And I really like that sort of nobility, like of purpose and re- like the tragedy of uh, this duel. But like it's a tragedy everyone could get behind because it's a great story. And people, people do go. And, the the other fun thing that might be nice to put in here is like uh, passion plays, like the the medieval thing where oh yeah um, at at fairs and markets people would just kind of go uh, let's let's do a a usually a religious one. Let's do a passion play where we get people to act out the um, the, the stories in the Bible or whatever. Um, so p- different districts competing to see who can put on the best um, recreation, either of uh, the big battle with the with the the fight with the two um, knights or some other story associated with it. Um, or even I want to say that the two big stories are uh, the the original battle itself um, or there was a uh, a famous passion play, call it 300 years earlier, which went wrong. And now the tradition is um, you do the play about the play and make the play go as wrong as you possibly can. <laughs> um, yeah, so those are, those are fun. I do, fun, fun fact, uh, if you listen to We're Not So Different, which is a podcast uh, with Luke, I used surname I cannot remember, and Dr. Eleanor Yanega, who is a... Uh, really excellent medieval historian. They talk a lot about passion plays, and mm. one of the things I learned from this is that the church at various points had to stop, uh, they had to ban priests from taking part because the priests would like cast themselves as Jesus, and it all started getting a bit, or like, or a saint, and it started getting a bit culty. And everyone's just like, "No, you can't do that. That's not allowed." Hey, hey, we had this whole thing about a golden calf. Don't do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, you know. Uh, as a complete aside, um, when once you've finished listening to our podcast, uh, you should go and listen to We're Not So Different. Um, I should do that as well. If you have any interest in medieval history, um, the focus tends to be uh, European and also uh, Asian, specifically China. Um, but yeah, like 100% uh, worth listening to. And the, and the hosts are super funny. Much funnier than us. <laughs> Stop doing us down. We just started. That's true. We just started, yeah. Seven of Swords, a sneaky looking guy walking off with five swords and two swords stood on end in the background. I like this card a lot. Can't 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 fight me back if you haven't got any swords. <laughs> what, you're gonna chase me? What with? <laughs> uh seven one. I've mistyped that as scene one, which is not what we're doing. Uh what is the most beautiful thing in or about our place? Um I think, uh, along with those memorial trees, I think there's a very common uh, type of flower here that grows on long vines 
um, or like long tendrils, um, like vines that grow up around the houses and sort of grow into like large tangled bushes uh, wherever they're allowed um, until the the river washes away their roots and they start up somewhere else. Uh, there's these big, like tall, not tall, these big, like grasping vines with little white flowers on them. Uh, and people cultivate them. They're, they're little more than a weed in a lot of ways, but they, they're gorgeous and they... I think they're I think there's something that people realize that they could forge the water here from I think there's something about them maybe the leaves are made of water or they have or or some of the flowers are made of water or I like the idea of some of the flowers may, being made of water that's cool I think maybe I think they're maybe not um yeah yeah I think there's white flowers and there's water flowers and there's um fire flowers i think those are the three types of flowers that grow in, on these types of on this particular genus of of uh, plant you can cultivate which ones you want there's a competition every year between the flower growers um uh but the problem is they are a weed so you gotta you have do have to keep careful of them otherwise they'll get into the, all the rice <laughs> um <laughs> i like the i mean if you're if you're talking about a place that can get fairly hot as well if you've got a fire flower then that's say uh, that can be a problem yeah for sure and I don't know that people forge fire or they haven't figured out the key to it yet, but these water flowers are sort of a key component in sort of like, oh, that's, oh, you can do this? Hell yeah, we can do this. That's that's very cool. How to forge, no one knows how to forge fire yet. Um, card for you. Um, okay. The Six of Pentacles. Uh, there's a man sort of supplicating two beggars. Uh, he's got a pair of scales in his hand and he's throwing coins into some of the beggars' hands. Okay, so uh, sorry. It was the, the it was a six, wasn't it? It was a six. Yeah, it's our second six. Second six. Okay. Someone returns to our place changed. Who are they, and how are they different? Hmm. Okay. So, uh, I think with as a general rule, with all of these questions, um, there are two uh, ways I approach them. Um, one is, I think, the, the, the most straightforward way is something uh, immediately crops into mind, like a slightly new thing, and we throw a new thing in. And the second is, I go, eh, nothing immediately pops into my head, so I'm just going to take something we've done already and riff on it a bit more. Um, so we've already had a bunch of people leave. I'm going to say a couple of them come back. Um, and I think some followers of the oh no we haven't had enough uh see that would that would work i was gonna say we had some of the um followers of the the uh the acolyte um it came back but we haven't had any time elapse well um, this is that would... this era is over a century it could be this could be 50 oh, years yeah, if you true. wanted to okay you know you know what i'm gonna say um uh a couple of the uh the acolytes followers come back um and uh they the way they've changed is they are just like doing fantastically well like it you know you you, you they they've gone back to their hometown knowing they're going to run into their ex kind of vibe <laughs> uh, and they're just looking looking great um and what's happened is the uh the acolyte has uh settled down in another city state uh, on another river where it meets the sea um and they're doing very well there thank you very much um but some people have come back just to pick up you know, certain things uh, that they can't get anywhere else. Maybe a couple of uh, Waterforged knives. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe if they can get away with it, uh, some 
um, like uh, some, some water from a couple of other channels because they want particular gods. Um, and uh, definitely some of the rice which grows in the delta, which is needed for religious reasons. Um, you know, there are certain rituals which really, to do properly, you should do with rice from the delta. Um, yeah, and they're, they're doing great, thank you very much. And uh, the general reaction to them turning up is uh, about one-third indifference, one-third how dare they come back here, they're going to steal more gods, and one-third, oh, dang, like, they seem to be doing really well for themselves. Maybe uh, maybe we should uh, go and uh, see if... See see what life is like in this other place. Um, it's a bit. It's it's that it's that month sensation as these 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 people turn up, mm. uh, mooch around for a bit, and then leave with a suspicious number of jars. Um, <laughs> how and, how uh, long that's... does it take before they came back? What's the time span on that? Um, are they coming back? Is it like I want to say a couple of years? A couple of years. Okay. I, I, yeah, I think like to, in in my head the timeline is something like they leave. There's about six months to a year of wandering around. There's about a year of when they when they actually pick somewhere, they settle down, uh, and I think in their other place they become. You, you know, you saw this thing in the ancient world, particularly with Rome, where uh, there would be like almost fads for foreign religions, mm. like the the Eleusinian mysteries or um, the cult of Isis, which is an, an Egyptian cult, but it gets adopted in Rome. Yeah. Even, I mean, even Christianity and Mithraism and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they turn up in uh, a, a, this other city-state and everyone there is like, particularly the, the local wealthy people are like, oh, dang, look at this uh, Delta religion. Yeah, cult of a thousand swords. Yes, please. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> or at least that's what they're telling us in this in this. At city. least that's... Exactly. <laughs> We're doing um, great back home. Please give us some gods. We haven't run out of gods. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, oh God, yeah. Um, uh, that yeah. So that it's it, it's been a couple of years, and they're turning, they're looking pretty smart, and they're leaving with a suspicious number of jars. Mm-hmm. Which is you. I, I guess we can call this acolyte too. Um, too too fast to acolyte. No, there's a better pun there. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but there's a better pun there. Electric, electric boogaloo. I like two electric boogaloo. No, no. We'll just. Uh, this electric, is. I'm sorry, my let's, let's edit this out. Uh, I choose you, Pikachu. Um, <laughs> uh, We're not worshiping Pokemon. It's not how this goes. <laughs> Squirtle, Squirtle, Squad, <laughs> unite! This is not. This is not the cult of Squirtle. <laughs> Speaking of Squirtle, we've got Ace of Cups, which is a cup that's overflowing with water, held by a hand. Um, there's a dove taking the Eucharist above it, uh, uh, and there's lily pads below. Um, it's being held by a hand that's coming out of the wind, it looks like. So that's pretty cool. Uh, ace, our first ace. What are the plants like in our place? The rocks, the soil? We've, we've gone through this a little bit. We haven't discussed plans over we've discussed that we've got rice we've discussed that we've got this sort of uh water flower and these fire flowers that you know like light up the light up the delta at night and in the day these glittering water flowers um and these beautiful white flowers that even shine on dismal days it's like three it's like three seasons of flower (laughs) i'm thinking about it which is kind of nice um 
What are the other plants like, though? Um, and we've got these memorial trees already. Um, I think that there are lush, long grasses um, on the edges of the of the delta where it's not being converted to rice. There's these lush, long grasses that have re remarkably deep roots for grasses, I think. Um, they come up to, like, waist high where they're wild. And they smell great. It's that kind of grass where you walk through it and you go, mmm, fragrant. Um, mm. You get that sort of peat smell from the from the the fresh loam un underneath, um, on on sort of the edges of the delta, and then in the city it starts to get. I feel like there must be bridges. There must be loads of bridges that regularly have to get moved. <laughs> so I feel like the the ground is uh, overtrodden, well trodden. Um, I feel like it's cobbled where it can be. So people have like put down hastily, like we've got a bunch of river rocks. We're going to pave this area really quickly in, in, into the mud so you can take carts and stuff over it. Um, uh, there's a lot of mud. There's a lot of silt, but there's also a lot of um, like places where it's been dammed. So you get like people have brought rocks, like hard rocks down from other places. I feel like there must be some big rocks under here as well. Maybe there's some of the more long-standing buildings are built on top of like island rocks i guess um are rocks that sort of don't shift so much when the when the river when the river shifts um although mm. you can see the signs of centuries of erosion on either side these rocks must have been big one time um <laughs> i think that covers... one of my one of my favorite things to do with fiddling around with world building particularly in games like this is um that kind of nk jemison approach of okay let's take that and then see what all the implications are right mm. so uh, you, I think you said like half a dozen really interesting things there and it's worth exploring <laughs> some of the implications um, mm. because they, they're quite, they're big, they're big things. This is the first question I think we've had where I'm like, okay, this actually has, it's not just a good world-building detail, it's like there are big implications here. Um, so first thing is that uh, there's the, uh, the, the thing with the grasses and the roots um, the grasses can 100% have really deep roots, like prairie grass um, before, it, uh, you know, it all got plowed up uh, in, in North America. Um, prairie grasses would uh, have roots down to like seven or eight feet. Um, so the, the that element is completely uh, logical. The kind of juxtaposition there for me is you've then got tons of rocks around. Um, like if, if it's being used to pave streets, then it's a pretty common building material. Um, and you've got these really big lumps of rock. I find that very interesting. Um, and they're just kind of floating around. So what does that mean? Well, they're like buried. So it's like having um, a cliff, but like it's like half buried in like centuries of silt, you know? So is that like... Or like, or like a coastal rock. You know how you get like on the beach down in like, I guess... Uh, like Dover and places where you like you're walking along the beach. There's a cliff above you, and then there's just a bunch of fucking rocks around. But there's no cliff yeah. anymore. It's lo that's long. Yeah, long, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the rocks are still there. Okay. Oh, hang on. And we, um, of course, we're on the sea. Uh, so um, there are probably places up and down the coast where there is lots of supply of nice, smooth, uh, conveniently sized round rocks, mm. um, which can be, you know. Uh, dredged up and thrown onto boats and taken back from cobbling and as well and all that kind of thing. So that's interesting. Um, the big rocks. I like the idea, especially of like a double handful of these uh, little islets in the um, 
uh, in the delta are built around extremely large rocks, which have ended up there one way or the other. Mm. That's very cool. And like maybe um, the bridges that lead to the islet change as the as the surrounding houses have to move. <laughs> not see, not, right. So so moving the bridges around, I love that detail. Um, and also you get things like it's possible to build bridges without nails. Um, mm. Like uh, in, in North America, you get uh, bridges that are held together with pegs. Um, a lot of uh, covered, old-fashioned covered bridges are built like that. Um, and then in the UK, there's at least one bridge in Cambridge, uh, which they, I think I heard somewhere that it was designed by Newton. That was, pro- I think that was apocryphal, but it was <laughs> held together without any kind of nail. Um, and they didn't understand why or how it worked. So they took it apart to see if they could figure it out, still couldn't figure it out, and then couldn't put it back together again, so needed to use nails to put it back together. Mm. That's the story I've heard. I don't know how apocryphal that is. Um but I really like the idea of uh, knockdown bridges mm. and um, potentially even knockdown houses. Uh, there's a timber framed houses in the UK. There's a, a the famous story about Shakespeare moving it, or at least Shakespeare's company moving a theatre because they were um, told that the the land they were on that they'd have to pay higher a higher rent for it. So overnight they took their theatre apart and moved it up to the river <laughs> to a cheaper piece of land. Mm-hmm. Um, again. Probably all apocryphal, but I but I love the story too much to yeah. look into it too closely. <laughs> um, I so I, I I really like the idea of um, movable knockdown bridges and potentially movable knockdown houses. The bridges are easier to move than the houses because all your stuff's in the houses, right? Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, I really like that. That's cool. That's good detail. Um, I'd like to add one more minor detail, just because we have this beautiful Ace of Cups. Um, uh, is that the biggest rock has um, the only freshwater? Well, not not the only freshwater, but like the only clean freshwater spring coming out of it. Um, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, um, which has obviously made the owners of that rock pretty wealthy. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Maybe that's where the hierophant is. That would make the the high priestess. Yeah, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, the high priestess. Sorry, yeah. I did. I played around <laughs> the high, high hierophant, but I. Yeah, I like that they have a high priestess more. So how many cards have you had? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cards. Uh, which means, statistically speaking, we are approaching likelihood for our first ten. We have the two of pentacles. That's our first two. The two of pentacles. First two. Uh, there's a man who seems to be doing Diablo with two pentacles. Uh, in the background, there's a sea and there's some ships. It's a very rough sea, but this guy's having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know that uh, there have always been buskers and performers on the coastline at Brighton. Um, to, Thanks, Pamela Coleman-Smith, uh, <laughs> for representing part of our culture. <laughs> okay, twos. Uh, first two. Name a monument, marker, statue, or other physicalized memory that exists in our place. What does it mark? Okay. So, the obvious answer here would be to talk about the big battle again. Uh, screw that. I'm going to just throw something new in. Yeah. Um, do it. So I, so what we've we've kind of we talked about the the prehistory of this place and how it was the the place where you went um, to basically settle grudges between two uh, neighboring uh, nations or groups of people. Um, 
to me, there's a disconnect between that kind of quote-unquote uh, heroic age and this modern age where we've got this very nice um, ecosystem of gods set up, right? Mm. So I think uh, what we what we found here is um, the place where the first priestess discovered uh, the first gods um, in the rivers. Oh, wow. So let's say, uh, and I think, how do we tie this together? So that we know already that this is tied together with the forging of knives and things. Okay, so I think um, there was uh, one of the early smithies in this river was at a place where uh, one channel split into three. Uh, and a person who was uh, at the river... Do we want to tie the Smithian class and the priest class together? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. The, I think this person came to um, the Smithy... Uh, in Foundation Myths, it's always something like they were in the shallows where the Smithy, uh, you know, threw their water out looking for fragments of... of um, water forging or or whatever something valuable and they somehow they discovered that um there is a a minor god in each of the three streams and there is a a slightly bigger god in uh the the bigger stream which splits into three so that's like you know they they've discovered the core tenet of the faith which is that there is a god in each of the little streamlets um and that the the splitting and uh, merging of these streams doesn't make each of those gods um, more or less. Mm. Uh, and then every god has a knife. They, every god, every god. Oh, see, I said I, I was thinking every god is a knife. Oh, every god is a knife. Every god is a knife. Every god has a knife. That's, For every I, god, a knife. <laughs> every every god, every god, a knife. Every hand a sword. Um, yeah, so it, we, we need a, a monument marker. So um, the, this is the first temple. It's not the biggest temple, but it's the first temple. Um, or at least everyone says it's the first temple. You know, the the the, the, the way these things actually work in people's memories is, is a little more complicated mm. than that. Um, but the, everyone says this is the first temple, and this is the story that's attached to it. Uh, and it's the, it, it now uh, covers the site where this smithy was, um, and it goes down to the water where these channels split off. In fact, three channels. We've got one, two, three channels. Yeah, uh, it's it, it. What it looks like is um, three short bridges over these three channels. Um, and uh, or do we want? No, we've got four. Haven't we? Yeah. So four four bridges. One big bridge and three 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 little bridges. Um, and the site that was a, was attached to this old smithy, which now forms the temple complex. So uh, did these did these streams not move? Because that's an interesting implication. That is an interesting implication. Uh, honestly, what's more exciting to me is the fact that they do move, but they the bridges kind of creep along with. They them. move the temple. The temple. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the 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 temple is where those uh, streams meet, right? So if the streams move, then obviously the gods are moving around as well. So mm -hmm. I mean, that makes sense. You just got to move the temple a little bit. God, that's very good. That's very good. I like that a lot. Okay. Um, oh, we've statistically probable. We've got our first 10, 10 of ones. Boom. Bang on cue. <laughs> right, right on target. Um, Okie doke. Let's go up to our tens rules. 
well, we've got to do the question first, and then we we'll do the do the era change. Um, okay. So get down to the tens. You may pick freely between the following questions, but do not pick the same one twice. Um, I think it's more interesting to read these so that the rest are a surprise when they come up later. Um, yes, I agree. Don't want to give away all of Everest's secrets. Again, sorry, sorry, Everest, for just reading your game <laughs> out on a podcast. That's that's how TTRPG actual plays work. Uh, Let's plays also work the same way because people play the whole game, um, and then people go away and buy the game. Buy the game. Hey, everybody, buy the game. Everyone, buy buy the game. Buy buy this game. Buy other games on itch.io and uh, yeah. have have a good time. Someone important, socially, political, or emotionally in our place dies. Who were they and how were they killed? How are they remembered after? I think this era ends with the current high priestess being assassinated by political forces within the city. Um, Holy shit. Well, okay. And there's, there's, there's definitely a high priestess after her, uh, I feel like. Um, but that's not the purview of this century. This age ends with our high priestess murdered in the temple um, and a new high priestess put in her place and the balance of power in the city shifting away from, away from this, these, this religious group. Perhaps, perhaps this is some of the acolytes doing. I don't think anybody knows. That's something for another century to discover. It's certainly that's always an accusation in in situations like this as well. Yeah, yeah. So whether whether there's any truth to that or not, that that's what's being shouted around by some people. Yeah, people are like the, the outsiders. It was them. <laughs> it was them. And maybe this is many years after the acolytes have started to return every so often to pick up new gods and trade and sort of refresh themselves of the of the thousand blades resources in fact now, now i think about it, the real blasphemy there wouldn't be they're taking copy you know taking more gods away because there's a religious doctrine that you know a river branching doesn't make the gods in those smaller rivers any less um but uh the the real blasphemy would be them bringing water back and pouring it into the channels mm. um, and putting more gods into the system that would be uh, controversial, but anyway, I'm getting away from myself. I, I think we're getting ahead there, but I think that's a really great thing to have in the back of our minds. Um, I think she, I think she's killed in white robes. We see for a moment uh, the image of um, the temple on top of this this big island rock. Though the walls are built of wood and water steel, the floor itself is the bare rock of the of the island, and we see blood. We see water flowing from the freshwater spring. And mingling with it, we see her fall, and afterwards she's remembered by a memorial tree that grows there, a memorial tree that grows thick with vines of our water flowers. No other flowers grow there. You have been listening to Lucid Strata with your hosts, LJ and Ed. Lucid Strata was recorded and edited by Leverett Jakes and produced by Lois Stone. All the music on the show was written, performed, and recorded by Lo Cinnabar, aka me. You can find more at lo-cinnabar.bandcamp.com. That's low as in L-O-W. And Cinnabar as in the island in Pokemon Red. 
Finally, this week's game was The Ground Itself by Everest Pipkin. You can find more about Everest Pipkin's work on everest-pipkin.com, including their new game, The World Ending Game. Lucid Strata, a world-building and storytelling actual play podcast. Time to wake up. Come dream with us again sometime.